Well, good morning and aloha. Hawaii is a grand place. I came home and, um, you know, when you were growing up, if you were a guy and you were there in about the mid-60s, early 70s, they had things called slot cars. You know, you put the little car on the track and you didn't have to drive it. It would just follow the tracks. That's what my driveway is. I have about eight inches of snow. Then it rained and that snow soaked up the water. Then it refroze. So it isn't snow. It's blocks of ice, quarter of a mile long. So I I came home to that. And it reminded me of this guy over in Hawaii that was walking along the beach. He just got there. He was having his vacation. And he saw this bottle rolling back and forth in the water. He goes over and picks it up. And there's something inside. And he pulls out the cork and out pops the genie. And the genie says, you know, I've been in that bottle a long time. I'm going to grant you one wish. What do you want? And he said, well, you know, I love coming to Hawaii, but I hate flying. So I would like a road from Hawaii to to." Uh, LA and I can just drive all the way over. I don't have to worry about flying anymore. And the genie said, do you know how much work that would be? Do you realize there's big valleys underneath the ocean, all the dirt? No, no, no. Ask for something else. Man thought a minute and he says, well, you know what I'd really like then? I'd like to understand women. I don't understand them. Most men don't understand girls. I want to understand women. Grant me that wish. And the genie looks at him for a minute and says, do you want a two-lane or a four-lane highway? Reminds me of the story of the Hawaiian and the uh, Alaskan sitting on a plane. They said, yeah, we remember several years ago, we both became states. And the Alaskan looks at the Hawaiian and says, yeah, and our state's a lot bigger than yours. And the Hawaiian says, wait till it melts. So... If you have your Bible, turn with me in them to the book of Exodus, chapter 24, Exodus 24. You know, it's really important that we know God's word. The Bible says in the last days, there's going to be a famine, not for food, not for water, but for the word of God. And unfortunately today, as we all know, the word of God is not really taught in church. That self-motivation, motivational speaking, how to realize your dreams, how to climb to the top. Sometimes churches are just viewed as a microcosm of an opportunity for business. But the Bible says that we are united as brothers and sisters under the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's why we must never forget who we are in Christ. And understanding that really to truly be a Christian, as Jesus said, we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus was speaking of the Old Testament. Now there's groups around today that say, well, we're a New Testament church, by the way, which we are as well. But we don't even read out of the Old Testament because uh, we're a New Testament church. Well, then you're really getting an imbalanced meal concerning the word of God. Jesus said we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then what is so important about the Old Testament? Why is it that Jesus would say that about the Old Testament? Well, first of all, we have the book of Revelation that reveals who Jesus Christ is. In fact, that's what Revelation means, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. But you might say the Old Testament is the revealing of our Father in heaven. What pleases God, what God disdains. 
Now, God didn't change from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In fact, people have said to me, why was God such a God of miracles in the New Testament and a, a, you know, a God of wrath and fire and brimstone in the Old Testament? Well, God changed. No, God has never changed. In fact, Hebrews 13, 8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We never have to worry about going to God, wondering what kind of a mood he's in. Well, God, you know, I know a lot of crazy stuff's going on over the Middle East. Hope you're not in a bad mood, but I got to ask you this. God, well, come back tomorrow. God doesn't do that. God loves you every day the same. Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13, 8, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I remember years ago, I grew up in a Christian home, thank the Lord. And moms and dads, that's one of the greatest inheritances you can give to your children is a Christian home where God's word is honored, where God's word is spoken and taught, and where your children learn the precepts of God. That is so important because in a world of changing foundations, in other words, fads that are here today and gone tomorrow in our society and Hollywood and all those things, God's word remains standard and stable, and that you can gauge your life by. That's why it's so important that we understand who God is. Now, we're going to be getting into today of this time in which God gives to Moses in stone the Ten Commandments. We're going to talk about that a little bit. How originally God gave man his commandments in stone, but in the New Testament, God gave us his commandments in a heart of flesh. There's a difference. And the Bible says, until we come to God, our hearts are like stone. When we come to God, God softens our heart, changes us, and causes us to be aware of his presence. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word this morning, we ask you that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. And this would not be ink on paper, but this would come alive in our hearts. And Lord, it would stick with us today, tomorrow, and the rest of our lives. And so as we study this together, may your Holy Spirit speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as we've been going through the book of Exodus, we remember chapter 20 of Exodus. The Bible says, as God spoke the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel, it does not say that this will justify a man. It says in the same chapter where the Ten Commandments are given, this is a test. Remember those obnoxious tones that used to come over your radio or over television? It'd go, and you'd put your hands over your ears. This has been a test of the emergency broadcast system. If this had been a real attack, you'd be dead by now. No, that's not what it said. But that was basically the understanding. And remember when we were kids. Now, some of you that, that came along later, you know, the 80s, 90s. But back in the 60s, when the arms race was on, I remember my mom went into a store over the Cuban Missile Crisis. And she walks up. She says, well, if we get in a war to this store clerk, what's going to be the hard thing to find? And the store clerk looked at my mom, honest to God, said, people, lady. Well, that's true. And we had this thing in school called duck and cover. And that's where when this ooh went on, you would get under your desk and you would put your hands over your ears and over your face and wait for the big bang. And that's the way we grew up. No wonder we're all messed up. This is the way, and, and, and there was no protection for kids back then. 
There was no seatbelts. Remember the old station wagons? Now they're called minivans. But back in those days, they were called station wagons. And, 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 and the seats would fold down, and they were metal on the backside. Yeah, they actually put metal in cars back then. And you and your sister and your brothers could all be in the back back there with the seats folded down where you had this play area of about seven foot by four foot and you could hit each other, pull each other's hair. You could make imaginary lines down the middle of the back of the thing and and you could fight with each other. Oh, they're touching me, they're touching me. And then dad would slam on the brakes and because it was metal and it was slick, we'd all slide up to the back seat and there we would get our beating. That's the way it worked. There was no health codes. There was no... Uh, there, the more sugary cereal was, the better it was, remember? You didn't care what the cereal tasted like. What toy was inside? And you're digging through, looking for the little man, and you're looking around, making sure mom isn't coming in and checking you out, making sure you're not digging for the toy. This is the way we grew up. This is what standard was. And things change. And we see where we're at today. The Bible tells us there's going to be a lot more changes in the days to come. Let's go back one chapter. I want you to look at this verse. This verse has brought more comfort to me coming from the Old Testament then I believe many things in my life that I have found any comfort in. Verse 20 of chapter 23 of Exodus. He says, Behold, I send an angel. Notice the angel is capitalized. That's speaking of a theophany of Christ. Before you, to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place that I have prepared. God said this to the children of Israel, that I'm sending an angel, and he says here again, to bring you into the place and keep you in the way where God wants us to be. Friends, if you're a Christian here this morning, take great comfort in this verse. God has already been there before you. Now, if you're not a Christian here, you're in trouble. And let's just face it, let's look at it. Real quick, because you as a Christian, you need to know the advantage that you have as a believer versus somebody that is not a believer. The Bible says you belong to him. We're going to get into how much you belong to him when we get into chapter 24 in a few seconds here. But you belong to him. But a person that is not born again, first of all, there's a couple of big problems. Number one, you're still locked in your sins. You carry that weight around, the things you have done wrong, the wish of would-haves in your life, you carry around, and it paralyzes you from going forward. But we cannot get free of that. That's why people drink. That's why people get loaded. That's why people want drugs. They want to alter themselves because they know in who they are in themselves, there's something wrong. So I want to change who I am, get a buzz on, so that way I can escape from the reality of who I am. See, a lot of times as we look at, at addictions, oh, well, stop, stop doing booze. Well, I'm going to AA, man. I've recognized, you know, my higher power is a light bulb. Okay, and, and I'm not going to drink anymore. So you're not drinking anymore. Now you're a drugger. Well, I'm not going to do drugs anymore. Now you're an idiot. 
Because we're trying to run from the sins we can't escape from. That's where the problem is. Psychologists will tell you overwhelming numbers, 80 to 95% of all clients that they have, if they could forgive themselves, they would not be needing psychoanalysts. They would not be needing the, 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 the psychiatrist to help them step back through their life because it's forgiven. But you can't forgive yourself. Why? Because the sin remains. If you don't understand that, you won't understand what we're reading today, and you really won't understand what Jesus Christ did for you and me on the cross. So first of all, we have got someone that's already gone in front of us. I like that. In other words, nothing takes God by surprise, which I can rest in that. Do you realize God knows where the best investments are? He's already there. He knows what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't. So if you're not a Christian, you're in the blind. So you're in your sins. You're blind. You don't know what's going on tomorrow. And you have no hope for tomorrow because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But as a Christian, God has already gone in front of me. God has already moved me where he wants me to be. And there he'll keep me. Now that's a good deal, friends. You trade something you cannot keep for something you will never lose in accepting Christ. It's like that story. A lot of you have seen that. Go into the Christian bookstores, and it's got the little picture of two footprints going down the beach, and then all of a sudden there's only one pair. And it says, and it says, you know, Lord, you said you'd never leave me or forsake me, and yet now I only see one pair of footprints. Where did you go? And the Lord replies, those are my footprints, and the reason your footprints aren't here is you ran away. No, that isn't what it says. Well, that's when I carried you. But no, I think a lot of times it's when we run away. Because we think there's another better way somewhere else, even sometimes as Christians. In the words of Bono years ago, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Well, the problem is, unless you realize Jesus is your everything, you're going to keep running looking for what you can't manufacture in yourself. And so when you address the issue, address the source of the problem rather than the symptom of the problem, your life will change. So if you find yourself hooked up to alcohol, I want to tell you something real fast. You're trying to run from a reality of who you are. If you're drugging, that's the reality. You're running from who you are. There's always something that will keep us moving until we come to that place of rest. As it says, behold, I will send an angel, Jesus, before you to keep you in the way and bring you into the place that I have prepared. Boy, there's not a better place in the world than that. That's where you want to be. That's where the deals are. That's where God's peace is. That's where that rest is that the Bible speaks of. Let's go to chapter 24, verse 1. Now he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. So God calls Moses and these others, a total of 74, to come up to worship. Now, God's going to call Moses into a deeper place. Now, friends, that's what I want to tell you about. God has called you and me, come up here and worship me. 
You know, you need to get alone with the Lord. You just do. Because when we set aside the noise of daily life, the kids screaming, the TV blasting, cars breaking, all the snow, all the stuff that we just so much enjoy here. And you get alone with the Lord, God begins to refresh your heart and put you where he wants you to be. Remember, he's already gone before you. Now, if you're not a Christian here, again, you've got some some deep issues that you're going to have to deal with. First of all, if what the Bible says is true about life, sin, guilt, and punishment, you're, a, you're facing an eternal separation from God in torment. And the Bible says in the book of, of Jude that it is eternal. It's not a flash in the pan. It's not annihilation. A lot of the cults teach that. The Bible says, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. I'm not going to change God's word. Don't let them change it on you. Found in the book of Jude. That's the first thing. You don't know tomorrow. You're carrying the sins of your past around you on your shoulders, which, by the way, you were never designed by God to do. And it paralyzes you from moving forward, at least in the way God wants you to move. Because you can gain the whole world, lose your own soul. What does it profit you? So God then says, hey, listen, what I want to do, I want to lift that burden off of you, forgive you of your sins. You recognize that I will go before you and I'll lead you where I want you to be. Wow, that's a great deal, friends. That's what we're all looking for. We grope for information concerning the future. You look at the business world. You look at everybody's trying to figure out, well, is there going to be a bubble pop? Is there going to be this? Is there going to be that? And everybody's all upset. Hey, listen, find yourself in Christ. It doesn't matter about that stuff. Jesus said, consider the birds of the air. They don't have barns. They don't have work. He said, God provides for them. God will provide for you. That's just what he's promised to do. So we live in that promise. God says to Moses, come up here, you and your cohorts, and worship from afar. Then it says in verse 2, Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come near, nor shall the people go up with them. So God says to Moses, I'm going to single you out to come up here. Now, friends, Acts chapter 2 changed everything where Jesus said, it's good that I go to the Father because I will send the Holy Spirit to walk alongside of you. That's what the word comfort means. Oh, and we all, we all need comfort, don't we? Talk to an alky. Oh, I got my southern comfort, you know. You talk to Linus. I got my blanket. I'm, I've got my comforter. You, you talk to different people. We're looking for comfort. But I have found that oftentimes we really don't know what brings us that comfort. I've talked to people that are quite wealthy. They have a lot of more money than they'll ever spend in their life. And there's still something restless in their soul. I've talked to people that are, are, are basically don't have anything, and they're at peace inside. What is that saying? Peace Comfort is not a statue of what you have or don't have. It's a condition of your heart. So how then do we get that? First of all, God said, I'll send my Holy Spirit to you. That's what he did in Acts chapter 2. Two and four believers. What What does that mean? That God will send his Holy Spirit to us 
And as God did in the Old Testament, single out the Moseses and the Elijahs and the Elishas and the Josephs, God now says in Acts chapter 2, it's for everybody. You're all called to come to me. I like that about God. And in other words, he's saying, I don't have favorites anymore. You're all my children. So the Bible tells us here, go up to him. So Moses came and told all the people the words of the Lord and all the judgments. And the people answered with one voice saying, all the words of the Lord, it says, they said, we shall do. So um, God singles him out. He gives him the message. And the people says, all that God says we'll do. Now this really is overconfidence on behalf of the people of Israel. Okay, God, you you gave us a standard. You told us what you want. Okay, we'll do that. Now, have you ever noticed something about you? I've noticed about me. The things, as Paul says in the New Testament, I want to do are the things I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, the things I find myself doing. Even though we know it brings destruction, what's wrong with us? Never, never notice that? You want to know why? I'm not going to tell you. No, I'll tell you. The Bible says it's not within you and me to live righteously. Well, that's a lot of help. No, the Bible says it's not within us to be good. Haven't you looked at your children? Can't you just be good? No. Why? We have inherited an old sin nature that came from Adam. We fell in the garden, all of human. In fact, the Bible says all of humanity groans under the sin of man. That's when you drive by and you see the cows out here in the field, and snow on their back. That's all part of the curse, everyone. Wild weather changes, all this kind of stuff that goes on. Hey, listen, that isn't the world God initially put us in. This is the result of that. So as we look at this, we understand then God's plan is to bring all of us to himself. Moses came and told the people God's judgments. The people said, this we will do. That's the intention of our heart, but we don't have the strength in ourselves. I've talked to a lot of people. They say, well, I'd accept the Lord, but I'm afraid I'm going to fail. Let me tell you, first of all, you're going to. And in fact, there's a book written in the Bible just for that purpose. It's called 1 John chapter 1. And if we sin, we have an advocate, we have an attorney with the Father, which is Christ Jesus, that will plead your case. You see, the thing is, I can't let the possibility of sin in my life paralyze me from going forward in doing what God wants me to do. Because if you do that, you will not move forward. So don't be scared of failing. God is bigger than the things that you've done wrong. Let's look at this. So Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain, the 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. 
And he sent young men of the children of of Israel who offered the burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in basins. By the way, that means he was storing it. We'll talk about that in a second. And half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant, read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, all the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood, probably out of the basins, and sprinkled it on the people. Well, that's kind of weird. So the sacrifice goes on. He sprinkles the blood and then he sprinkles it on the people. I don't know whether he dipped his hand in the blood and just went fling, you know, like you. But you know what that does? Basically, it's saying you're blood brothers. Now, you remember, you know, the, the, the Indian thing where you cut you blood brother, okay, kind of thing. Uh, but there's a uniting that comes through blood and there's a forgiveness that comes through blood. The things that were done wrong in the past, all forgiven in the blood. That's what this is talking about. And I like that because God did not make separate covenants for individuals. One covenant fits all. Have you ever talked to people and they go, well, me and God, we got our own little deal going. You know, like they got it out of a Cracker Jack box. Me and God got our own little thing going. My big buddy upstairs. And I've talked to people like that. I go, no, 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 no. It's the same covenant for all of us. The sprinkling of blood. And by the way, when we, we get up to this point, Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to these words. Now, just very quickly, you don't have to go there uh, yourself, but I'll just read it to you out of the book of Hebrews, New Testament, starting in verse 20, saying, The blood of the covenant which God has commanded you, likewise, he sprinkled the blood both the tab on the tabernacle and the vessels of the ministry according to the law, almost all things purged by blood without shedding the blood, there is no remission of sin. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. People say, what's that about? Sin is so outrageous to God. The only way it can be forgiven is through blood. Life for life, sin for sin. That's the only way you get rid of it. That's why the blood of Jesus is so important. Because without understanding why Jesus died on the cross, doesn't really allow us to understand how bad sin really is. Now people say, well, how can that be so bad? Let me ask you something. You ever had somebody burn you really good? Maybe stole money from you? Maybe stole a boyfriend or a girlfriend from you? Maybe maybe, uh, ruined your name? Maybe he done things like that. And you, and you know the anger that's there. And in fact, you, you'll be, I'll be having a great day and somebody may mention their name and you go, Arr! there's a lockup. You could be having a great day and all of a sudden you'll, you'll go through the time passages of your mind and all of a sudden you remember what somebody did to you. And now instead of having a good day, you remember what this person did to you and now you're angry. 
That's what it is. That's what sin is. That's what sin does. That's why it needs to be forgiven. Because if it's not forgiven, that will fester in your life and paralyze you in the days to come. In fact, it'll block out. You won't even be able, because you can be in a very good place. You can go and go to an amusement park and you might be swirling around on some teacups or something like that. And you're going, wee, wee, wee. And then you'll think of this person that hurt you for some reason because somebody in the line waiting to get on the teacups looks like the person that burned you. And all of a sudden, I want to kill him. I want to kill him. You go from a place of joy to a place of torment in just the thoughts in your mind because there is no forgiveness. See, God brings forgiveness. When you are forgiven, you can forgive. If you're not forgiven, we hold that inside of us. Now, again, as we just read, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness or remission of sin. So Jesus's blood reminds me of how much God has forgiven me for, and I need to hold the posture, I will forgive them. That's what God wants. Because now all of a sudden I can go forward with life. I can enjoy today, not hampered by what somebody did to me in the past. And friends, you got to hold on to that. Some of you listening are tortured by the things of your past to the point that it ruins the joy of the day. And God says, listen, the sprinkling of blood, Moses dips his hand in the blood and flicks it on the people. You're all in the same covenant. You're all forgiven in God. So he says, Then Moses went up, also Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, the 70 elders of Israel, and they saw God of Israel. And there under his feet was the paved work of sapphire stone, and it was like the very heaven in its clarity. Some people believe he might have been actually a picture of that we find going up to the book of Revelation, uh, chapters 4 and 5, where we have this description of God, and that he's there's the crystal sea before the throne, which probably is blue, I don't know. But he says that it was beautiful, but the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his, uh, lay his hand. So they saw God and they ate and drank. Very normal thing in the presence of God. Now, what this means exactly, they saw God, we don't really know. Because if you go up to Exodus, I believe it's chapter 33, it says, no one has seen God at any time and lived. So maybe the way they saw God was not in complete clarity, but maybe as it says concerning even Moses, he saw the backside of God when he came down out of the mountain and his face shone. I don't know. But I do know this, that when we have a close encounter with a real God, we change. And that's what you need in your life, is you need to be changed by the Spirit of God. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and the commandments which I have written that you may teach them. So Moses arose, by the way, that's always a good thing when God tells you to do something, you do it. He arose with his assistant, Joshua. And Moses went up to the mountain of God and he said to the elders, wait here. 
up until I come back to you. Indeed, Aaron and her are with you. If any man has an issue, let him go to them. That's one of the things that Moses would do. He was like a judge. And so if you've got an issue, go to Aaron and go to her. They will, they will take care of you. Then Moses went up to the mountain and a cloud covered the mountain. Now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now it's interesting. The seventh day in the Bible is the day of rest, right? Six days, God created the heavens and the earth. Seventh, he rested. And God said on the day of rest, come up to me. It is interesting that you're ever going to find real rest for your soul. You're going to find it in God. And he calls him up. And then it says, Moses went up to the midst of the the cloud, went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. And this is where God gives him this tablet of stone of what God expected. They came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, what is the most important commandment out of the ten? And he said, love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. And then he said, the second is likened unto it, love thy neighbor as yourself. He said, upon these two, and this is where he includes all of it, hang all the law of the prophets. So if you love God, we're not called to keep the Ten Commandments. We're called to keep the two commandments of Jesus Christ. Those are Jesus' commandments. Love God, love your fellow men. That's what we're supposed to do. I have found this. I cannot do that in myself. I can't. I try. I see the failures in that person. And I go, well, they're a nerd or they're this or that. And God says, but you're a nerd too. Oh yeah. Thanks for reminding me, God. You see, that's the thing that God always does. He brings us back to reality. Have you ever been around people that are, 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 are narcissistic egomaniacs? The whole world's about them. I don't do anything wrong. It's all your fault. You ever been around that? Boy, I'll tell you, it's hard to be around people like that. Been around kids like that? Parents gave them everything they ever wanted in their life? Mommy, I want that. Okay, here. I want that. And they grow up, and when they're 18, 20 years old, they're so spoiled, you can't be around them. God deals with us as his children, and when daddy says no to me, blessed subtractions, Jesus is mine. If I don't have it, I don't need it. That's what's so great about a relationship with God. I've gone before you to bring you where I want you to be and to protect you there. That's what God wants to do. If you're not a Christian here this morning, you have no one leading you. You're being led by the winds of, of, of fad in the world. But if you're a Christian... God is leading you where he wants you to be. And listen, God opens and closes doors according to his will to get you to be where he wants you to be. God, I really want you to do this. And God says, no. Oh, God, you don't love me. God says, no, that's not it. I said, no, because I want you to go over here. And that's what God does. When God says, always know this. If God closes a door, he's going to open another one. But that's where God wants us to be. 
And we look at things sometimes and think, well, God, you don't love me because if you love me, you wouldn't have let this happen to me. God says you needed to learn that for what's going to come down the pipe in the future. You look at the life of Joseph. We've already studied about him. How his brothers were jealous of him. They made a story up that an animal killed him. They sold him into slavery. He goes down to Egypt. He ends up being sold as a slave in a foreign country. A man named Potiphar buys him as a slave. Potiphar was so confident in him, he said, listen, you take care of everything I've got. Well, his wife also wanted him to take care of her. And you remember the story that she yells rape as he runs out of the house because she made a move on him. He ends up in prison. And when he ends up in prison, this is where he meets a butler and a baker that were at the hand of the Pharaoh. Now, evidently, there was probably an assassination attempt on his life. Was it the butler or was it the baker? Who poisoned the food? I don't know. But they both had dreams. Joseph interprets the dream, says to the butler, you're going to be restored by the king's side. The butler, feeling confident, said, well, I had a dream too. I dreamed about I had a basket of bread on my head and the birds came. He goes, oh, man, you're going you're gonna to lose your head over all this. Time went on. He told the butler, hey, listen, mention me to the king. Well, one day the Pharaoh has a dream. He can't interpret it. He doesn't know what it means. He brings his, his magic men in. They don't know what it means. And the butler goes, I remember when I was in prison, there was a guy in your prison down there that can interpret dreams. He, well, the king says, bring him up to me. And there is where Joseph said to the king, you had a dream, the fat cows and the seven skinny cows. Seven years, there's going to be plenty. Seven years of severe famine. And what you need to do, Pharaoh, right now is you need to start storing up grain for this famine that's coming. And the Pharaoh looks at him and says, you know what? I have never found anybody that had the wisdom of the gods dwelling in them. You be my prime minister. And he went from prison to prime minister in a day. God prepared him for those 10 years when he was treated so poorly for what God was going to do the rest of his life. And sometimes I have found in my life, I am in that training period. It's uncomfortable as much as it was to set an algebra class in college. Remember that? Do you anybody remember how bad algebra really was? Where you would look at the clock and a minute was like a thousand years. And you were just going, please do something. Get me out of here. X equals Y divided by C equals 12. First of all, I don't care. I have found in my life, I have not used algebra at all. Now that's a tragedy, isn't it? That we spend time learning things that we don't need and the things we really did need to learn, we are fully unequipped. I remember this when I first moved to Idaho and I was in a well hole trying to figure out how to hook up the 220 to my well. Why didn't I learn anything about this in school? But I know who took pictures during the Civil War. Didn't really help me much. What I'm saying is you need from God, 
his blessing in your life. You don't need a lot of other stuff. And when God is in control of your life, he will lead you and protect you in what he wants you to do. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you need to get right with God. Because you're carrying weight you were never designed by God to carry. Second thing is, you're paralyzing yourself from going forward in what God wants you to do. And you're in it all alone. When you become a Christian, Christ died for us. His blood covered our sins. As we read in Hebrews, that this covenant was for all of us that caused us to be his family, blood brothers, if you will. We watch out, not only is God watching out for us, but we watch out for one another. Our sins are forgiven. We can move forward in what God's called us to do. Not a bunch of hype that you see sometimes in the church world. Give me a J, give me an E, no, 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 no. This is real. This is real life. This is what you need. And we go, okay, God, I'm going to walk in you. And the Bible says, if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Your sin is paralyzing you. And if you don't get out of it, you'll find yourself repeating it. There's only one way to break free from it. It's not, not through psychobabble, it's through Jesus. And then we can move forward. And we can then have God write his law on our heart. Not a thou shalt not, but thou shalt love God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. That's what God wants to do. Change your eternal destiny, not only in heaven, but right now. What you're going to do in the future. And you know what, friends? That's exciting. Because the thing is, you're out of your rut. For the first time, you got out of the coffin with the ends kicked out, and now you can do what God wants you to do. You're free. Let God free you today. If you're not a Christian, and you don't want another 10 years like you just had, I invite you to pray this prayer today. Mean it from your heart, and let God do something brand new in you. If you need to get right with God today, and maybe you're a Christian, and you've been playing on the wrong side of the fence, and you know exactly what I mean, it's time to come home. It's time to say, okay, God, I'm going to do it your way. And God says, he will bless you. You will be blessed. That means God's favor has been returned to you. And then God, as he said to Moses, come here. Okay, I'll come, God. You see, God's calling every one of us, just like Moses, come here. And as we read earlier, so Moses arose, back to verse 13, Moses arose. He did. When God calls you, you'll respond. God's calling all of us. We're in, listen, we're all little Moseses, if you will. God calls us. Will you respond? Will you arise and go? You say, well, I don't know if I can. Listen. God will help you. Let him be your source of strength. If you need to pray, get right with God. Let's pray right now. Let's see what God will do in your life. If you've been distant from God, pray and just say, Lord, from now on, I just want to be about your business. 
all this other stuff is passing away. It's all getting broken and old and sun bleached, and I'm tired of it all. I want to do what you want me to do in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you to come into my life today. I'm sorry for the foolish way that I have lived. And so from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. I ask you to make me the best I can be. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And his blood took away my sins. And so I believe that he rose from the dead and that you would bring that same life into my life. And so now, from this day forward, I commit my life into your hands. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Jesus, lead me where you want me to go. In Jesus' name, amen.